Hey, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there is no printing mistake on the bulletin. And yes, you're getting me two weeks in a row. <laughs> and I'm sorry for you. It feels so deja vu. The same worship team. And then Winnie came up the stage and made an announcement following Pastor Gilbert. And, and, and it's like all over again. And so let's talk about the book of Job. No, it's Advent today. So in the church calendar, Advent takes place in the four weeks before Christmas. And the earliest observance of Advent can be found, actually a long, long time ago, can be found around 400 AD, so 1,600 years ago. The, the word Advent came from the Latin word Adventus, you add an U.S. at the end, meaning the second coming of Christ. So in other words, during Advent, we do not just look back and find comfort from Jesus' first coming as a baby. We also look ahead, look forward to Jesus' return as we prepare ourselves accordingly. And for Christmas itself, we all know that it's December 25th every year. But how did this date became Christmas? The Bible did not give us any indication. You look through the whole four Gospels and you wouldn't find any indication of what day Jesus was born. In fact, the Bible did not even say what season in a year that it was. It might give some hints, but there's no direct indication. As a result, we could only guess which day was Jesus' birthday. But then, how did the church finally settle Jesus' birthday on December 25th? Well, there has been quite a few theories, but I think this one is most likely and most meaningful. In ancient Roman Empire, prior to, to it becoming a Christian nation, December 25th was already a very big day of festival in their calendar. It was the day of the sun god. And the reason that they set December 25th as the day of the sun god was, according to their calendar, that they think it was the day with the shortest daytime or the least amount of sunlight. Well, you know better than them. You have the longest night surface on the 22nd. So from this day, but they think that from this day onward, Daylight will increase day by day, meaning that the sun god is overcoming darkness. But we know the, the Roman astronomers made a mistake. They are a few days off. What they were trying to refer to was the, uh, the day of winter solstice, uh, which is uh, 22nd this year. And, and in the uh, Chinese calendar, we, it, it, we call it the arrival of winter. And now we call it the hot, hot day. So it's either December 21 or December 22nd. And by the way, the longest night service is a very, very great idea. Very meaningful. So I'll, I'll try my best to attend as well. But later, when, when the Romans became, Roman Empire became a Christian nation, well, they would need to find a day to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Eventually, they chose December 25th and replaced 
the old festival of sun god replace it by Christmas. One reason for that is that after becoming a Christian nation, there should be no place for idols such as the sun god or the moon god or the love god. So they get rid of it and replace it with a, with a, with a day associated with Christ. Another reason is that the original meaning for December 25th of overcoming darkness could be retained because Christ is the true light that banishes the darkness of the world. December 25th, the day that light prevails over darkness, is a good day to celebrate for Christ's birth. Because Christ has proclaimed that he is the light of the world. So in Advent this year, our church, all three congregations, have, we have ad- adopted the theme, Light of the World. Not only that we want to better grasp the meaning of Christ being the light of the world, we also need to prepare ourselves for Christ's return, which means that we all need to live a life as children of light as well. So today I'm going to use three very similar passages, short ones, in the book of John, almost at the book of Job. The book of John, to share this message with you. And all these passages talk about light. And also, they talk about that we must seize the opportunities while there is light. Three very similar passages. Let's read these passages uh, first. And uh, I'm going to invite Lindsay. To Lindsay here? Oh yeah, there she is. To come up and uh, read to us uh, these three passages from the book of John. That's the Gospel of John. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, so it's, this passage comes from John 9, 1 to 5, 11, 8 to 10, and 12, 35 to 36. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who, who, who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Um, so this is from John 11:8 But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. And John twelve thirty-five to 36 reads, Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Thank you, Lindsay. After listening to God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for Jesus coming in our midst to become the world of the light, the light of the world. And and that he shines through darkness. The darkness does not accept you. 
So we give thanks to you, especially for the fact that in our sinful condition, that your Spirit touched our heart and has brought us to the light. That we all sit here celebrating Jesus as the light and, and, and celebrating the fact that we can be called the children of light. So today, as we read through these passages, may you open our eyes, humble our hearts, and so that we will follow your will, follow your revealed words, that in this Christmas, we can also be the light of the world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John likes to use light as a metaphor for Jesus. In terms of Jesus' birth, John said that it was light coming to the world. In John chapter 1, verse 4, at the very beginning of the chapter, he said, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. But then he added, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand, embrace, accept. At the beginning of his gospel, John has used light as a way to describe Jesus. Light is something that is essential for human existence. Light does not just shine, it provides heat also. It, and only it, can enable plants to turn carbon dioxide into oxygen in the process of photosynthesis. Without light, we all die. Jesus is the light of the world. Without him, we all perish. This is why John repeatedly uses light to describe how essential Jesus is to every human being. But then, when Jesus proclaimed that he is the light of the world, he chose a very particular and special occasion to do it. In John 8 and 9, Jesus twice, in the same occasion, he twice proclaimed that he is the light of the world. In 8.12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In 9.5, Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. These two self-proclamations of Jesus being the light of the world happened in a very special and relevant occasion. When Jesus said this in John 8 and 9, he was at the temple celebrating the festival of tabernacles. And this is going to be his last time on earth celebrating this festival. And this is a, I think I talked about the festival of tabernacles on Thanksgiving Day last month. It is a very long celebration, eight days. An eight-day celebration. And every night, Jews, for, for every Jew, uh, men and women, they would gather in the court of women, but men and women gather together at the court of women. Because the court of women, the meaning of it is that it allows women to go in. Okay, the inner court, which allows only men to go in. So only Jews, okay, the, 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 the court of women allows Jew, Jewish men and women, but no Gentiles. And, and, and in that court of women, within the temple precinct, 
they are there to attend a very special ceremony every night for the eight days. This ceremony, which is known as the ceremony of illumination, light, illumination, takes place on every night, and it's very well attended, full of joy and laughter. Here's a picture of a replica of the temple during the ceremony of illumination. This is uh, the court of women here. This is the inner court, only men allowed. This is the gen- court of Gentiles. Okay? So this is the, the court of women. And you can see the, there is uh, four pillars, uh, four actually light lamb here, very huge ones in four corners. Each of these lambs were about 75 feet. It's very tall. Okay, that's 10 story high or maybe less, 8 story high. And uh, each lamb will be light up every night during this festival. And each would consume about 15 pounds of olive oil every night. And it's very bright. As you can see, the original setting has no light in these areas. Only here. So it's even brighter. The ceremony was established that this ceremony of illumination, lighting up the four lamps, it was established to remind the people of the pillar of fire that had guided Israel every night in the wilderness journey. In the wilderness, there, there was no street light, especially at night that is complete darkness. You wake up, you wanted to go to the bathroom, and you might end up in your friend's tent. Also, there were wild beasts in the wilderness, and most of them have very good night vision. So if you cannot see at night, you might end up being their late night snack. So the pillar, it's for the pillar of fire, it's for their sight and for their protection. Every dark night, in the 40 years of wilderness wandering, God gave the Israelites fire pillars to illuminate them. Later in history, when Israelites entered the promised land, the fire pillar then ceased to appear no more. So whenever Israel was in, a, in trouble or in darkness, they would hope that God would send them light or fire pillars to illuminate them and protect them again. That's why in Isaiah 60, the prophet said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. This passage was a mandatory reading in the ceremony of illumination. Every night they read this. In anticipation of the light of God that comes into their midst again. So in this ceremony of light, Jesus stood in the middle, in the center of the four lambs, And he proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then the next day, he went back there again and said, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he was essentially saying that he was the one who gave them the fire pillars in the wilderness. 
He is also the light that they have been anticipating to come again into their midst. Jesus is the light of the world. What does it mean to us? What does Jesus, or how does he illuminate us? Well, light is a very unique physics phenomenon. We might not see light itself, but it allows us to see everything else. We don't need to see the sun shining. But when we go out and we see everything else, green grass, white snow, we know that the sun is shining. Jesus is the light of the world. So he enables us to see something that we couldn't see without him. There are at least three things that we can see because Jesus is the light. First, Jesus allows us to see better who God is. Jesus said, No one has ever seen God and the only and only the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And Jesus himself claimed that anyone who has seen him seen me has seen the Father. Light is a form of electromagnetic radiation. EMR, which is mostly invisible to humans. Across the whole electromagnetic spectrum, there are many, many different uh, names there. Yeah, there's gamma ray, there's X-ray, there's doctor ray. There's <laughs> Sorry. There's, okay, okay. There's ultraviolet. There's infrared. There's microwave. And there, there's a radio wave. And within the entire spectrum, only this very tiny, small portion that is known as light is visible to human eyes. Light enables us to see electromagnetic radiation. No one has ever seen EMR, but the one and only light has made it known. Anyone who has seen light has seen EMR. Jesus uses light as a metaphor to illuminate us that we can see God in Jesus. Even though we might not see the whole spectrum of God, but in Jesus, we see God. Even in Jesus, we see a tiny bit of God, but that's enough for us to live in this world. We can see how kind God is, how merciful He is. In Jesus, we can see how much God loves us, how God has chosen to save us instead of punishing us. We can see that God is God who would actually come into our midst. He doesn't just send fire down. He, can send, he would send his son down. So second, through Jesus, as the, world, as the light of the world, we can see ourselves more clearly. Not just we see God, but we can see ourselves too. Without him, we might be misled to think that we're good enough. That we are quite righteous enough. But through Jesus, we see the definition of a good, righteous man. He did not just die for mankind. 
but also for those who betray him, those who accuse him, those who were ungrateful to his help. Jesus is by nature God, but then he chose to be born in a manger. When he was a baby, he allowed himself to be so vulnerable that he could not even change his own diaper. His savior of the world, but was willing to wash the feet of his disciples. He came to serve instead of to be served. From the man of Jesus, we can see how far we have fallen from who and what God originally made us to be. But then, we can also see from him what God plans to remake us to be. Third, Jesus is the light of the world so that we can see more clearly how to live in this world. The light of life has shown us in our flesh what life is all about. Jesus lives life as it is designed to be lived. He showed us how to live with those who are our friends, but he also showed us how to live with those who are our enemies. He showed us how to deal with our anger, our lust, our bitterness. He formed an example of how we are to love one another, how to pray, how to do justice, how to extend mercy. From his life, we can see how we can make this world a better place. So Jesus said, When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Light has come to the world to allow, to allow us to see the Father more clearly, to see ourselves more accurately, and to see how to live life more abundantly. But then, in addition to bringing us benefits, light also brings us responsibilities and demands. Based on Jesus' saying, I break it down into three main categories. First, light coming to the world demands us to work. Right before Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus demanded us, or commanded us, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is giving all of those who belong to the light, you and me, a command. Because he used the word must. There's not an option here. We must do it. Jesus was saying that because light has come to the world, we must do the work of the one who sent him. This is a strange line. though, Because the one who was sent was who? Was Jesus. Only. Well, in this verse. Not us. Jesus said that it was God who sent him. But Jesus was not saying, as long as it is day, I must do the work of him who sent me. He did not say that. Jesus was the one who was sent by the Father, but we are the one who must do the work of God. It is us, not just Him. Jesus was sent, and we are to do His work. Why? Oh, very simple. Following Jesus was not just about claiming promises, but also bearing responsibilities. When we became Christians, 
we decided to follow Christ, Jesus said that what is His will be ours as well. Nice, including, wow, eternal life, sonship, and authority. However, it also includes responsibilities. What is His will also be ours. So what is His responsibilities will also be ours. So if Jesus is the one who is sent, then what is His is ours, meaning that we have also inherited this mission and work. But in here, the more crucial word is not the word work, but a subtle, transitional word, while, or as long as. These phrases denote a time limit. We see this word very often this weekend. Black Friday sales. While it lasts, as long as stock is available. When these words, while, and as long as, appear with the word must, it means that we have to seize the opportunities. When Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of God, it means that we must seize every opportunity available to us to do God's work. It denotes a sense of urgency. It's an attitude. Work is an action. But whether your action can please God would really depend on whether you have a a sense of urgency to seize every opportunity to do God's work. God commands us to do His work. So it's not up to us to decide when we want to do it or what we want to do. How displeasing our lives to God does not depend on how bad a job we do because at least we are still doing it but on how many opportunities we have missed and let pass. Opportunities to do God's work do not always remain there for you. That's what Jesus means here. John Piper once said that he'd rather have a wounded life than a wasted life. If you are to evangelize, do it when there is opportunity. If you want to serve God, do it when you have a healthy body. Don't waste your health on something else and then after you, you, you use up your health, then you say, all is yours, God. I have heard a testimony of a very tragic, wasted opportunity that I want to share with you. I have a friend whom I met in seminary. I give him here a fake name, Tim. Tim once shared with me about his family. He told me that his father had always been against his faith. Tim is a Christian, of course. Whenever Tim shared his faith, shared the gospel or church life with his father, his father would challenge him back, saying things like, is Jesus paying you a salary? And, and like, you're making offering to church. Why don't you pay more to your parents as you still live at home? So time after time, Tim became bitter towards his father and decided not to talk to him about faith. Then later, Tim's father got sick and had to stay home most of the time. And then, 
when Mid-Autumn Festival came, it's a very big thing in Chinese culture. The entire family decided to go out and eat, leaving father at home, alone. So during dinner, Tim felt bad about leaving dad at home alone in this festive day. And he felt bad about it. So what he did, he ordered a couple of dishes to go, and then he went back home to eat with his dad. Pretty heartwarming. Tim told me that it was the most intimate and enjoyable dinner that he has ever had with his dad. They talked many things, just not touching the subject of faith. It was a nice, very good dinner. But at the end of the dinner, Tim's dad asked him, Tim, why do you believe in Jesus? Well, somehow, Tim was so disturbed and even irritated by this question. As he thought that his father was going to bring this issue up and challenge him again. So Tim stood up in anger, yelled at his his dad, saying, I came all the way from the restaurant to home just because I did not want you to eat alone. Why would you choose to challenge me after what I've done? You're so ungrateful. Then Tim left the table, went back to his room, shut himself in for the night. His father, without yelling back or protesting, cleaned the table, went back to his room and sleep. And then in his sleep on that night, Tim's father died. This is true. This is a true case. How would you feel if you were Tim? Tim told me, literally, that he felt like that he has pushed his dad into hell. Well, of course he did not. But when his dad asked him why he believed in Jesus, it's in fact a great evangelistic opportunity. His dad may very well have a change of heart that his life was coming to an end. But Tim's eyes were blinded by past bitterness. He let the opportunity pass and he will never get a second chance. As long as it is day, we must do the work of God. It took a very, very long time for Tim to be able to experience forgiveness. I truly pray that none of us here will have to bear such a regret. But it's up to each of us to seize opportunity to do God's work. It is your choice. So other than seizing opportunity to do God's work, Jesus also commands us the second command is to walk on the right path because of light coming to the world. In this another passage, John 11, Jesus said, Are there not twelve hours of day? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. This passage is quite similar to the previous one. Both commanding us to take good advantage of the limited presence of light. But the past passage was about doing God's work. This passage, on the other hand, 
is about walking on the right path while there is light. In most parables, walking primarily symbolizes the way you live your life. With light, you will be able to walk on the right, on the right path. Without light, then you will take random steps and would likely end up in disaster. Jesus commands us here to follow light and avoid walking in darkness. In the Bible, the most familiar verse about following light to walk is found in Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Light has come to the world, and then it requires us to live our lives according to what the Bible teaches us. If you're not familiar with the teaching of the Bible and remain very comfortable for not knowing much of the Bible, then you're walking in the darkness instead of light. So go find a small group to study Bible together. Go join a Bible study class or something. Go do Bible reading every day. Take an extra step today to walk out of darkness and start walking in light. So, the last command for the first is when there is light, seize opportunities to do God's work. The second, while there is light, walk on the right path. The last one is found in John 12. And in there, Jesus said, Then Jesus told them, Put your trust in the light while you have it. Again, while you have it. And so that you may become children of light. In John's Gospel, Jesus repeatedly stressed that we need to take advantage of the opportunity of light to do something while it's available. The first command we talk about is to do God's work. And then the second is about walking in light the right path. This last command, I think, is likely the most fundamental, the most foundational. Jesus told us, while there is light, we are to become children of light. But, when, but what, is signif- what is the significance of being children of light? Does Jesus mean that we are to be holy and not to sin anymore? Can any living person stop sinning at all? In fact, Jesus did not stress on whether we sin or not here. Or whether we do good or not here. What Jesus stresses here was not our action or behavior, but our relationship. Note that Jesus did not say that we are to be people of light. And Jesus did not say that we are to be instrument of light. What he specifically said was that we become children sons and daughters of light. To be an instrument or even a people is by creation. God can create an instrument. God can create a people. But to be children is not by creation, but by birth. On the other hand, or or in other words, God doesn't just create us to be children. God has to beget us. To be a child of light means that we are to be born. Or precisely to be born again. We are to be born again in the Spirit to receive a new life in Him. 
There's a big difference between those two words, create and beget. To create is to bring something into being that doesn't necessarily share the creator's nature. To beget is to bring into being something of the same nature. A person can create a car, but the car is not in the same nature of the car maker. Of course, the car itself does reflect certain characteristics of its maker, like its, his creativity, his craftsmanship. But fundamentally, a car is a car. This maker is a person. But if this car maker begets a son, then this son is of the same nature of his father. The child can learn and grow from his father and grow to be like his father, while a car cannot. John said, Yet to all who did not receive, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of light are children of God. When light comes to the world, it commands us to pay special attention to our relationship with God. Just like a plant under the light, we are to grow and eventually to be in God's likeness. What means by darkness here is not only about sins, but also about our indifference to this relationship with God the Father or our reluctance to keep growing spiritually into God's likeness. Darkness here is about not submitting ourselves into God's lordship and try to be the commanding officer of our own lives. To be children of God, not only that we are to do God's work, not only that we are to walk in the light, but also that we are to put ourselves in the hands of God and let Him carve us, shape us, and polish us. We need to do God's work, but God doesn't want to be our boss. We need to walk on the path of light and follow the teaching of, of the Bible. But God doesn't just want to be our teacher. We are to become children of God because God wants to be our Father. What Christmas has brought us is this privilege and responsibilities of being the children of God. Remember I said it in the beginning that Christmas has replaced the festival of the Roman sun god. The name of this sun god in Latin is called Sol Invictus. Sun, invincible, invictus. Or in English, I'll call it the unconquerable sun. But then when Christmas became the host of December 25th, we only need to change one alphabet in this name. On December 25th, we are to celebrate the unconquerable Son. Of course, this is Jesus. However, it could also be plural. The unconquerable sons, referring to us. And because of the light of God, that our lives can also be unconquerable by darkness. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world, 
has already come, now lives in our hearts and will come again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that in our darkness you gave us light and you continue to shine in our lives. You continue to, to illuminate the, the right path for us that we can walk on it and grow spiritually to be more like you. And we pray that in this special season of the year, that your word will shape us, will break us, and then reshape us, so that we will not just focus on the privilege, but also take the responsibilities of being children of light. That in this season of light, we will go shine. We will go tell that Jesus is our only Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.